Welcome to the Magic Potion Podcast, where a sprinkle and a dash can enhance your class. Listen to learn about tools, techniques, and stories from educators on ways to improve your lessons, create a positive culture, and much more. I'm your host, Kevin Reinemann, and now it's time to make it happen. Hello and welcome to episode 46, My Passion for Effective Teaching with Larry Mumford. I'm so happy and excited to have Larry on the show today. Uh, He is an author of the book, My Passion for Effective Teaching, and he just has a great story and he's a great guy. So Larry, could you let the audience know who you are and what your background in education is, please? Yes, thank you very, very much for the introduction. My name is Larry Mumford. I live in Avon Lake, Ohio. I have spent 56 years in this wonderful profession. Um, I guess um, I should also add happily married, three children, seven grandchildren. Uh, As I indicated earlier, I have a passion for for the profession. And that's one of the reasons that um, I wrote the book. I've served as an elementary teacher for 36 years, Um, (laughs) 20 uh, as a a consultant. Uh, I also served as principal's designee, an intervention specialist, an instructional coach, and now a consultant. In fact, I have my own little company called Classroom Consulting. Uh, I had the good fortune to work in Lorraine City Schools and some other districts, summer school, etc. But my um, my 36 years, seven at one building, 29 at another, uh, were in Lorraine. And then after retiring, I was asked if I would apply for a position with the Center for Essential School Reform slash Ohio Department of Education. I did and was hired as an instructional coach and was actually placed in high schools. I thought for sure that I would be in either elementary or middle schools, but um, the superintendent made it very clear because of my love for instruction. uh, She wanted me in high schools. And then I was uh, with the... Knowledge Works Foundation, the Edwards Foundation, both sponsored by Bill and Melinda Gates, um, partnered with Cleveland State University for two years and did uh, lots of their professional development training for teachers. And then, like I said, my classroom consulting business is um, in its 20th year. And uh, obviously things have changed because of COVID, but uh, I couldn't do the work without my wife, Mary Jo. And um, I'm lucky. Um, I absolutely love the classroom and um, just appreciate the opportunity. I live with the essential question, though, every building I enter and every day in this profession, am I effective or ineffective? And I think that's the question that should drive all of us when we think of children, the process, etc. Okay. I always love hearing from you, Larry. Now, now, audience members, I, I had the great fortune of having Larry come into my school last year and start doing some professional development and working with our teachers specifically on uh, rapport, classroom management, building relationships, all that type of stuff. And you see Larry and you're like, okay, yeah, all right. This is a athletic looking guy and he's very high energy. And then he just goes and you're just blown away by the enthusiasm and energy. And I just, I always get excited after talking to you and I'm ready to get back to the classroom immediately. (laughs) So um, let's talk about that. Rapport in relationships. 
how how do we start building relationships with students from day one? Well, let me back up for one second. I am 78 years old. I've jumped rope for the last 35 years every day of my life. I still do my football calisthenics. I owe so much to my parents, teachers, coaches, but I am driven, high energy, enthusiasm, and that's the way I taught. Um, I guess when we talk about relationships, to me, relationships, respect, and report really begins with respect. And as I say to teachers when I present, I hope that you're feeling what I'm feeling. Not only the energy and enthusiasm of teaching someone's children, but also um, the idea of building a relationship with them. And I think a lot of it in my case, and I've been very, very fortunate, it had to do with personality being raised the right way in terms of diversity. Uh, my mother was a Sunday school teacher working in um, uh, conjunction with her at an early age. But I loved my work from day one, and it showed. And kids knew it immediately on day one <clears throat> that I was going to be positive, genuine, kind. And all of the things that we want, obviously caring, energetic, enthusiastic, and so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, I would say that, and I think most teachers have this withness. And kids know. They know the first 30 seconds whether or not you are you know, going to be what they hope you would be. And when you make it known, not only by telling them that you love your work and then demonstrate that and model that throughout the year, um, I went in every day excited. Uh, my neighbor wrote a letter of recommendation for me once. He was uh, an optometrist. He said, I've never met, any, never met anyone who loves their profession as much as Larry Mumford. But um, I believe with that relationship piece, we have to build confidence where it's lacking and where it's present. We must be able to sustain that with kids. Um, I have three children, and I always gave them, and they will tell you if you ask them today, I think many gifts, but the number one was a gift of time. And I think we have to do that with children as well. To begin that piece on day one, I'll trace just a second both the buildings where I worked. I would literally go to the building two or three weeks early before school started. And if I saw a student, a parent, or a group of children, I would leave my classroom and leave the building if they're out on the playground and introduce myself. And to me, that's really part of it as well. Um, but the point that I am trying to make is, as my cousin says, <laughs> as a salesman, here I am, how do you like me so far? I revealed everything that I could possibly reveal to students and told my story. And by the same token, I said to them, I want your story. Let me tell you about my culture, what I believe in. I want to know about yours. And it just it really, really was beneficial for me to be able to do that. I think another key is not only do I care about you, but I will listen to you. And I'm open to suggestions. One example, when we build and talk and discuss about our classroom rules, I want input from you. I'm in charge. I'm getting paid. I'm all about classroom safety and classroom management, but I want to hear from you. So all of those things really make a difference. And I guess the big one is they knew that I cared from day one. And it just didn't, you know, begin and end in the classroom. And I believe so strongly in circulating the room with intent and purpose, going to every child, finding a positive, that which is truly a positive and is attached to a tangible. Kids know when you're fake and phony. 
but I build on that, build on that so very, very much. Being an elementary teacher, self-contained classroom, although I did work uh, in another, uh, my other building where we were team teaching, co-teaching, um, et cetera, et cetera. But regardless, I'm here from you from the beginning of the day till the end of the day. Open house to parents. I believe it has to you know, include parents as well. Here's my phone number. Here's my card. But I ate with kids in the cafeteria. I was on the playground, not as a monitor, but as a participant. You want to jump rope? Let's jump rope. You want to shoot basketball? Let's shoot basketball. I had um, somewhat of a decent athletic career. Uh, played quarterback in high school, one year in college, quarterback and defensive back. Coach Pop Warner basketball uh, or Pop Warner football, City League basketball, et cetera, et cetera. But they knew that I was there for them on the playground as well. And then I think the biggest thing with relationships and rapport, trust. A wise man taught me once that it might be more important than love. But if you trust me and I trust you, as I told my own children, you can tell me anything and I'm here for you. So every opportunity I had to be with them, whether it be, like I said, in the classroom, on the playground, assemblies or whatever, I'm here for you. And that made a huge, huge difference. Um, it's changed somewhat. But I made home visits, and I also made it clear to parents that they could visit my home. And I tutored in my home, and I would tutor before school and after school. And I think another one is, I don't know how you explain this, but kids knew that I liked them. And I do. And I say to, mm -hmm. to my beginning student teachers and groups of teachers that I meet with, again, what are you feeling when you walk into that building? And I hope you truly, truly like, uh, like kids. Um, I would give kids or students uh, an opportunity to choose their seats. And as I said to student teachers, if you really, really want to reach each and every child, put yourself in the place of that student um, in, in my classroom and see, you know, try to see what, how, exactly what he's feeling and how he's feeling. And uh, it just made such a huge difference. I won't go into a lot of stories, but I've had the good fortune my doctor is a former student. My attorney who wrote the forward in my book is a former student. I've written letters to law school, grad school, parole boards. I mean, the list visited uh, students in prison. The list goes on and on and on. Two days before Christmas, I received a phone call. Mr. Mumford, yes, this is Fred. And I could give you his full name, but uh, I won't for personal reasons. He said, I'm on my way to the airport with my boys and my wife but I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. I think Aww. of you every Christmas. I think of you throughout the year, whatever. And I said, oh, Fred, that's fantastic. Would you say hello to my boys? Once and fourth, once and fifth, absolutely positively. So to make a long story short, I simply said, boys, I, I'm going to tell you something you already know. Mr. Mumford, what's that? He put him on speaker. Your father is one of the best students I ever had. Kind, polite, hardworking. And I'm sure he's that way today. And I listed some other positives and one of them said, Mr. Mumford, you loved our dad, didn't you? And I said, I really did. I loved all my students. And they said, well, he certainly loves you. So that's just another example of the relationship piece. And they will never, ever forget how you treat them and how good you are to them, et cetera, et cetera. I guess to support that, and obviously th th that family story is one of many, but I did everything I could to make that feel or that child feel obviously safe, but special. And 
I, I was able to do that. I was never a teacher who sat, obviously, during reading groups and so on. That's one thing. But to circulate that room with intent and purpose and, and specific praise, to greet those children in the morning, to say goodbye to them at night. <clears throat> My first principal was a former military man, and we literally walked them to the door to, to say goodbye one by one. I never forgot that. I actually taught my kids the T-Berry Shuffle. Now, we're going way back, and we did that each night as we dismissed. But anything that I could do that would make them realize that this was, and I said, I'm doing everything I can to make this the best year in school you'll ever have. And so it's the respect, the rapport, the relationship piece is so critical. And as a result of that, I really didn't have 36 years in the classroom, inner city, won't get into it, urban, very, very few discipline problems. And so it, it just is, it's so critical. And again, as I said early on, your personality, your attitude daily, no matter what happened at home, no matter what happened in traffic, my kids never saw, my students never saw me upset in the classroom. So if you love teaching, and it shows, and if you bring that every day, that energy and enthusiasm and excitement and passion for content, but more importantly, I told them every day, I can convince you how to answer higher order thinking questions and reading. I can convince you to divide fractions. I can convince you to want to learn. And I can help you with that. And again, like I said, I'm here for you. So building that confidence and sustaining that, giving kids the gift of time, looking at them in the eye, eyes on me, my eyes are on you. What a fantastic, what a fantastic piece of writing. Would you come up and read that to the entire class? So anything I could do to make each and every one feel special, I, I, I did. So... Um, that's really, for me, the empathy, the trust thing. Um, I just, and again, working with a number of African-American, Hispanic, uh, Caucasian, Asian, I want your story, but I want to tell you about mine. Any opportunity I had to take my children to my elementary building, I did. And I would always have a year-end party at my house. So all of those things added to, I guess, two words, he cared. Mm -hmm. He cared about me. And so it works for me. And that's one thing that I try to instill in every student teacher. They know, they, they know from the moment you enter that classroom, what it's going to be like, but it really does depend on you. So one of, one of the big things I feel like I'm hearing as you're talking, not once did you mention how important the content was or anything like that. Everything was about establishing trust and caring and love for one another you to them and them to you and them amongst each other uh i would imagine as well as it's got to be just as important for them to care about everyone else in the room as if they were a brother or sister now granted elementary age that might not be good for them to treat each other like brother and sister it might be uh, getting a little pushing and shoving in the room but uh one of the things that you're reminding me of is I've, I've heard people talk about Maslow's before blooms where we're making sure we meet the personal needs of the students before we even begin to worry about depth of knowledge and that type of stuff. Is that a fair assessment? 
It really is. And let me back up one second. Uh, one other, and again, it's, it's, it is about strategies. I mean, it is. And it, all of these things should be part of your practice, in my opinion. But at least once a day or once every two or three days, we would put all of our desks in a circle. Obviously, I was trained in Adlerian psychology and won't go into that. But I need to hear from you. In any problem that anybody was having, do you mind? Do you mind if we talk about that? Why do you think that occurred on the playground? Take, we would take four, five, six, eight, ten minutes. Help me out with that. And I would say that to students in so many situations. Please help me out with that. We, we went by the two, two C's, choice is consequence. But why do you think he was so upset and almost lost his temper? So anytime we had an opportunity to discuss, once again, the comfort zone, as I told my own children, even through high school and college and as adults now, you can tell me anything. So that really uh, made a huge difference. And then getting into, obviously, Maslow's and Bloom's, when a child, <laughs> a new child entered my room, the first thing I did was get as much information as I could on that child. At the beginning of the school year, I literally... And I know where I should be in Bloom's because I understand following a course of study, the student learning objectives. I won't get into all of that now. But at the beginning of the year, I went through every single cumulative folder to get as much information as I could. That's one. Two, if last year's teacher is willing, what can you tell me, please? What can you tell me positive about him? I'll, I'll, I'll find out about the negatives if there are any. But I need to know as much as I can truly find out about that child. And then when I would meet with them, <clears throat> and by the end of the second week of school, I had taken at least five or six minutes to meet with each child individually, hallway, at my desk, whatever. Talk to me. Anything I should know, you know, medically, anything I should know that's happening at home, anything that I should know that's happening to and from, anything at all you can tell me because I'm here, obviously, <laughs> to make sure you're safe and take care of your needs. And then anytime I met parents, and especially at the first open house, here's my phone number. Later on, obviously, it was email, et cetera, et cetera. You pay my salary. Anything that you want to tell me, you can come in at any time to visit early in the morning, lunchtime, uh, recess, afternoon. But please tell me anything that I should know. And we're talking about specific data, scores, health information. So many would say, well, you're going to have your hands full. He's ADD. What do you mean by that? If he really is, listen to what <laughs> I will do differently. Um, and by the way, as the year progresses, anything that I should know, please just contact me, phone, have a meeting, et cetera, et cetera. But I would say, and I remember vividly a student, uh, a mother coming to me with the student about a week before school started, a couple days, and said, he's all over the place. She was very descriptive. Oh, he's all over the place. He needs this. He needs that. No problem. But let me have him for two weeks so that I can see. And I said to him, how many desks do you need? Do you want my desk? Because I don't use it. Do you need a table? We can accommodate and meet all of those needs as long as I know you're trying your best in terms of learning. So um, <clears throat> I guess if you have a, I don't know, a pulse or a sense and you care what you do or you wouldn't be in the profession, think about that child. Once again, put yourself in his place. 
we can work through this together. What can I do so that I'm able to help you read and comprehend that story at a high level? What can I do? And by the way, if you can prove to me in 10 problems, I'm not going to ask you to do 20. We know for a fact that so many students are, some are above, some are at, and some below. We have that responsibility to meet those needs. But again, the personal needs first. And, and a lot of times, you know, kids won't tell you, but I think once again, if you're truly circulating that room with intent and purpose and going to every child, those will appear. I see you're having problems after, whatever it might be, but talk to me about that. We can talk now, we can step in the hallway, or you can talk to me after school. So, um, and when it comes to blooms, that's a whole other thing. I would simply say this, task predicts performance. Um, what are we asking students to do? I presented uh, for the Ohio Department of Education on that. The task really does predict the performance. And are you asking him to do a low-level worksheet, or have you taken it to a higher level, et cetera, et cetera? So um, I don't know if I answered your question on that, but it's critical that we know those basic needs, the self-esteem, the safety, the physiological, et cetera, et cetera. But then the Bloom's piece, and I've presented on this, and it's not about me presenting, but it's truly about aligning the work with the student learning objective. And by the way, when I go into classrooms, the first thing I do, if I'm there to do an audit or I'm there to coach or I'm there for a PD, I simply walk into a classroom and say to students, so what are you guys and girls doing? And if they say to me, we're analyzing the causes and effects of the Civil War, we're, we're uh, reviewing the writing process because we're going to write personal narratives, or we're doing page 74 and 75, and we're doing just the odd number. I, I have a problem with that. I want, I want to be able to hear that student articulate the specific learning goal on a daily basis. Huh. So it's more instead of just having the uh, necessarily the steps of the what the lesson is going to be, make sure you're telling the students the purpose of why you are doing this worksheet or why you are reading and doing numbers one through seven. Absolutely. Yes. They need to know the class objective, which that's something we hear about in college, but I think a lot of people kind of forget about it, get, get into the motions of the day-to-day -day teaching and, and just kind of, they don't think about that part. They just get into teaching their lessons. So I it's simply a, it's say a habit. This. this is what I want you to know, understand, but most important, be able to do. And if you can tell me that and give me, show me evidence and give me examples of that, we really are on the same page. And you set that expectation and they know the expectation. It's clear. So it's easier to follow up on. And then it's a clear assessment. And when they're working on whatever the project is, they know what's expected of them and what they need to do in order to get that, uh, those high marks. Absolutely. Beautiful. So, uh, one one problem I have that I'm pretty sure you're going to be good with this, with how much you research your students and everything like that, I struggle to remember names of any new student I have. Give me a couple of weeks. I'll have them all memorized. I'll be good. We'll be establishing relationships. But when I have brand new batch of 50 kids, I struggle. I struggle. You got any tips on how to remember students' names right away? <laughs> well, uh, the first thing that I did was, um, and my wife is extremely bright, extremely creative, 
and very detailed, but I made it a habit with every desk. <laughs> uh, and this was self-contained, except when we got into team teaching, co-teaching, so on and so forth. But I would have the name on every, the front of every desk. Then Mary Jo made me tents, if you will, name tags that are, that are tents. Obviously, this is what everybody does, I'm sure, but I'm, I'm making a point. And then if need be, uh, I obviously went to labels um, that I purchased and put on their, I mean, I didn't put them on, they put them on their shirts or, or what have you. But um, <clears throat> I would ask students, I have, I have 34 this year, I have 28, and I'm going to have some problems with your names. First of all, mine is, and went through that whole thing. Would everybody one at a time stand up and give me your name and give me something that will help me remember your name? It can be a brief story. It can be a nickname, whatever. So anything that I could get from them. And then I said to them, each time you meet with me one-on-one, -on -one, I want that test. What's my name? <laughs> and give me a clue or two. They and even to this day when I run into former students that every once in a while, um, obviously I know them immediately, but I may not remember their first or their last name. And I always use these words, which I think we all should use in all facets of life. Can you help me out? Rather than just give me your name, can you help me out with something? Um, the, I guess the, the, the biggest thing is, and, and we can go, we can get into rows and columns. My kids were always, almost always in cooperative groups. Um, but the tense the ability for them to say, what's my name, or to give me some clues always help. Um, obviously, early on in my career, I went alphabetical order and boys on one side and girls on another. But the bottom line, um, I think the more interactions I had with them, and, and again, to stand in front of the room is one thing and, and see all of those name tags and desks. But again, if you truly are teaching, and circulating that room and reaching each child, that closeness really helps with remembering the names as well. Of course, not right now. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to get close to each other. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. What a ch exactly. Yes. Oh man, <laughs> it's tough to be able to uh, you know walk around the room and try and whisper quietly to a student to you know maybe yes. give them that nudge or anything because right now we got to stay six foot away and. Exactly. If you're six foot away, you got to speak a little bit louder, but you don't want to speak too loud. And then, <laughs> yeah, just one of those things that we're dealing with as teachers, teachers this year. Oh, well, uh, Larry, are you ready for uh, a spin on the magic wheel? I am. Okay. So before the episode started, I, I gave Larry a little rundown of what was going to happen with this. This is uh, the sixth episode featuring the magic potion wheel. So hopefully we'll hear a little spinny spin in the background here. And here we go. Stay calm. You get the letter C for calm. And, and for me, the big thing about that is uh, early on, I realized that uh, I'm ashamed to say it, but I was a yeller in the classroom. <laughs> And that was my classroom management was yelling to get students to stop. And I don't like that. I promised myself when I got back into the classroom last year that I was not going to be that teacher. And I haven't been perfect, but I've done a lot better. And, and part of that is reminding myself to stay calm. And the other big piece is 
stuff is not going to work correctly all the time. So don't be afraid to ask students. But for you and all your years of experience, what does staying calm mean mean for you as a teacher? Well, I go back to what my grandmother taught me in an early age, and she taught me so much. But one of the things she taught me, actually, <laughs> two that I remember, one was if we could only hear ourselves as others hear us, and if we could only see ourselves as others see us. My point is very simple. I say to my students, I'm not a screamer or a yeller. And the only time I would ever raise my voice if we were in a safety situation Please do not raise your voice to me or to another student, and I certainly won't do that to you. My point with that, and I know I say that a lot, but any time it would even begin to reach a point where my voice would elevate, I once again refer to those famous words. Hey, guys, let me turn that down a second. Excuse me, boys and girls, can you help me out here? I don't want to yell. So I created that awareness, that understanding, that invitation for them to help me, but more importantly for me to be aware of how I sound. I say to student teachers, if you truly want to know how you sound, please, with the technology we have today, obviously, start that phone. <laughs> Record a, a segment of a lesson. I don't know if you've studied Flanders' uh, system of interaction analysis. It's critical. But more importantly, if we record and hear ourselves, Wow, that was me. I would say to a, another teacher, hey, Rudy, can you come by for a second? If, if you have a free period, I, I feel like I'm getting really loud in this explanation in terms of um, the early explorers and so on and so forth. Help me out. Or I would say to a supervisor, and, and that's a whole other thing. Um, many school supervisors are out in buildings and others I found that they are at central office, maybe too much and should be in buildings. But I would say to them, do you do you have a day when you'll be in the building? I just want you to hear me and see me teach. And I need some suggestions, especially because as a quarterback, <laughs> I can get loud and I can get anxious and I can get <laughs> highly motivated and so on and so forth or a former quarterback. So I would um, really, really emphasize asking your students. I can remember vividly saying to my son one um and he said to me i was upset about where we were playing golf and he said these famous words dad can you believe how you're talking to me how loud and so i always ask students to help me out if you feel like i'm getting too loud i need to know that and i try to obviously have that built in um so peers recording the help of your students um and again as we're all trained it's it's not the student that we're upset with it's the behavior that he exhibited but i always use this one as well as a building manager i handled all the discipline problems and there was a fight and so on and so forth and the first thing i said to both boys do me a favor i need your eyes on me but take a deep breath two more and i'm going to do the same this is after separating them or whatever. But, but that awareness has to be there. And as the adult, I have to say, whoa, tell me. And with today's technology, um, it's really, really neat to hear yourself. I used to videotape my lessons. I'm going way back on the reel-to-reel -reel days and videotape basketball practices and so on and so forth and record my lessons, especially my reading lessons. 
Did I set the stage? Did I build the background knowledge? Did I give them a reason to read that story? Um, in terms of the, if the lesson doesn't go well, um, and I think that's what you ask, am I right? Yeah, yeah, that's one of the parts that I've noticed with teachers and myself is I can specifically remember teaching social studies years ago and I was trying to show a video and it just wouldn't work. I could not get the video feed to uh, to go up and I ended up blowing through a bunch of class time and looking back, I, that was definitely a mistake. I was getting frazzled. The kids were getting you know, a little anxious in their seats because there was no expectation for them. And um, I could have handled it better looking back at it. And see, you had the awareness. And, and again, I think it's it's making that decision. Um, it's so critical to stay calm in, in so many situations in life. But um, I guess my biggest thing was once again, to assess that situation immediately and then make a, I, I don't want to get into similarities and differences or plus minus. On a plus side, I can take a few more minutes or on the minus side, I'm lo and make the decision. Um, and I, I agree with you. I remember the old reel to reel movies we used to show in the classroom back in the 60s and 70s. You got, I mean, you are too young to remember that. And if it didn't work, you know what? That's for tomorrow. In other words, for me, and I believe in this so strongly, my principal used to say to me in my first, how many do you have this year, Larry? And I said, 20, 29, sir. Any minute that you waste in that classroom, multiply it by 29 because you've wasted. So my point, time is so critical. And if indeed, and I'm patient, I really, really am. And I would never hurry a child. But if it's me, or something that isn't working, the smart board or, or the computer, or I'm not where I want to be in the lesson, let's do what's right here. Can we do a quick timeout, restroom break, drinks, come on back. If it's not working at that time, we're going to move on because that's how valuable each minute in my classroom always was to me. But the breathing technique worked for me or works for me, and when things don't work out, um, I really... I think was pretty fortunate um, to be able to, as you mentioned, roll with it, but move on. So uh, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, for definitely. It's, it's a maturity thing and it might be tough for new teachers because they haven't had the opportunity to, you know, realize that things are going to go wrong. That's just part of it. And, and as you go through your career, you kind of, go oh yep here we go again this is what i did last time that didn't work so let me try something else yes. so uh at least that's why i look looking back on my career so far i i can definitely see how i've matured and i handle things completely differently now than i did 13 years ago when i started i think any situation like that and, and again i had Obviously, I was also assigned principal's designee, building manager. But when I was in charge of all discipline and I was called to a classroom immediately and, and I would get there ASAP. But then when I got there and some I, it was needed, there was a fight or there was this or that. But there were many where I and I was in a situation where I could not really as a building manager suggest unless they asked you have a suggestion you called me to the office or called me to your classroom because he would not pick that pencil up <laughs> could we just back up a second which is fine and, and i 
I can give you one one tiny example. That happened in the elementary building where I worked. Went down. The, the child would not pick it up. And I simply bent down and said, Joe, would you do me a favor, please, and, and hand me that pencil? Like that. So to preface all commands and requests with please and end them with thank you makes a huge difference. I'm at a, I'm at a high school in Michigan. And as I walked by the room, I heard, <laughs> and I don't mind saying Michigan. It could be anywhere. Yeah, you're giving me the shivers a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> loud, loud command. Pick that up or I'm sending you to the, whatever. And as I got a little further down the hallway, the teacher came out and he said, oh, by the way, I, I talked to the principal. And he wants me to work on classroom management. I can so see I why. And he wants me to meet with you, Larry. So I went back and I said, what do we have? He said, she won't pick that. And if you don't pick it up, you're going to the office and on and on and on. And I went back. I said, how are you doing this morning? Everything okay? You take one breath, please, and just hand me that because I'd like to Whoa, did you drop it or did something? She handed me the pencil, the pencil, but left the classroom. And see, this is all about stories. Left the classroom, and I said to him, please don't misunderstand me. You wanted my help. Tone of voice. You were at the front of the room behind this, obviously, <laughs> science lab. All you had to do was go back, use please, and ask her nicely. I can tell you what's happening. She's already told the office. Her mom will be here anywhere from uh, 10 to 15 minutes. I had been, been in that high school and, and knew the kids, too, along with the teachers. And she's probably going to withdraw from your class. What do I do? What do I do? The first thing <laughs> is to be a man, as my father said, and apologize. And from now on, handle those things differently. So enough of that. But um, it always seems to work out if, indeed, we become the adult and we ask kids to take a breath and to... You know, honor that request, but always please and end it with thank you. And that's just modeling and it's going to make everything better because they see that behavior and they're going to start taking those behaviors on, especially if you also set that expectation, but you do it politely. Don't, I mean, you have to, how do I want to say this? The word demand just comes off kind of uh a little rough with that, but <laughs> you're setting the, you're letting the students know that, yeah, I expect you to say please and thank you. And you know what? I'm going to say please and thank you to you as hey, well. That modeling, you're right. And you should do the same thing with your coworkers when you're going in the hallway, because there's always eyes and ears. Even if you're in teacher's lounge and you think nobody's around, there's probably somebody around. Absolutely. Oh, geez. That's why I'm writing a second book, because there are so many stories and I'm about halfway through. But those are the types of things that in story form, I think, really resonate more than maybe a chapter on classroom management. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, another one of the things that I like to do with every guest that I have on the on the show is helping me help the pre-service teachers that I work with and just anybody that might be listening and, and going into their first year, uh, if you could go back to your first day in the classroom or even when you're a student teaching, what advice would you give yourself or what advice would you give to teachers starting out in their first classroom? <clears throat> well, I would go further than that. I had the good fortune, of, God bless my mom, to be in a 
an instructional setting because of her work at the church. I knew from the time I attended a one-room country school all the way through that I wanted to be an elementary teacher. And so my point is very simple. My first advice is the sooner you can get into a building. My neighbor across the street graduated from Ohio State University and was a um, she worked for the court system in terms of uh, interviewing children and families, children's services, etc. But she came to me and said, I want to teach. I said, that's fantastic. She said, may I come and watch you for an hour or so? And I said, oh, it would take a lot longer than that. <laughs> and convinced her to spend at least a week in my classroom. And so the point I'm making, and we're doing that, and I never got in a classroom until I was in my student teaching. She spent time in my classroom for a week and came back for the second week. But I could sense my part. I mean, you could feel that she's a teacher. And she immediately was circulating the room. She immediately was jumping rope with the kids on the playground. She joined me in the cafeteria. She joined me when I had to make home visits. And by the way, she was our nanny at one time, and I knew what she could do with children. So all I'm saying is we want you in the classroom as quickly as possible. Do you really want to teach in a parochial school, a suburban school, an urban school, a private school? And if you do, make arrangements to be there. And then this is what I would say to you. I said to all new teachers or all the student teachers I had, I've already made arrangements with the principal and all the teachers. Not all the teachers, but the majority of them. I had nothing to hide. My door was always open. Of course, that changed also. But I want you to walk the building. And I want you to come back and want you to go to every classroom and I want you to come back and tell me what you saw, what you felt in terms of instruction. Effective or ineffective. You might even want to write up a little report. And then I want you to, if you have an opportunity and Laura, Laura did interview some teachers. Why did you choose this profession? But look for strategies. Look for the greatest indicator of success. How many kids in that classroom were authentically engaged? They were passionate about it. The teacher was passionate about it. That connection was there. Everybody wanted to learn. So I would advise anybody, male, female, whatever, to get in classrooms as soon as possible and ask kids also, like I said before, what are you guys doing and why? Um, I would ask them, what did you feel when you were observing? What did you feel? I know what I feel every time I enter a building. <laughs> I was told by some other consultants when we walk into a building, I said, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. And one of them said to me, go ahead and hit classrooms. I'll be, uh, I'll be in a principal's office and hope I get to talk to him. But I just love going into classrooms to see and to feel what, what's happening. Um, I would also, as I said before, um, ask that particular or those particular teachers, and um, I did it with all my student teachers, to come with me on home visits and to, to sit in with me when it came to parent-teacher conference and sit it on um, uh, uh, staff meetings because that's all part of it. But I would also say to them, so what do you want to teach? I want to teach third grade. I want to teach math at the middle school or I want to teach social studies at the high school. 
My next question is very simple. How are you going to teach it? And that's why, and don't misunderstand me, I'm not trying to sell a book, but that's why I included in my book the five classroom essentials and the, the, the official teaching playbook. There is a way to introduce each and every lesson. And I, I'm, I'm asking these young people, do you feel what I'm feeling? Well, I don't know. Because if you don't, on a daily, consistent basis, please remember this. And I was asked, or I mean, I asked this question two years ago at a, at a, uh, <clears throat> at a presentation, beginning of, of school presentation on differentiated instruction. I hope everybody's feeling what I'm feeling today. This is the greatest time of the year. School has started. Football season has started. The leads are... Everybody feeling what I'm feeling? We're going to teach. And three teachers raised their hand and said, I'm not feeling what you're feeling. You want my class for the year? They were joking, of course, but that scared me. So if the feeling is there and you can tell me what you think constitutes an effective teacher, I'll leave you with this. I know you're all familiar with graphic organizers and they mean the world to so many students and adults. But do a simple Lotus diagram and put the name in the middle of your favorite or best teacher of all time. Mine was my quarterback coach, my social student, whatever. And then around the other boxes, list the strategies. List the things that you recall about her, about him, that made them your favorite teacher of all time. Take a look at that and say, do I have that? And if that were me, what would I put in those boxes? And can I bring that every day? And if you can, and just remember this, please, that the classroom teacher has six times more of an effect on student learning than any other factor. We hear so much about poverty and we hear so much about, you know, this particular thing in the classroom or that, but it's the classroom teacher. Hey, it goes back to the family, absolutely positively. But as I said to all my student teachers and those who want to become a teacher, I can't change what happened last night, wherever he lives. But I'll tell you what I can change. The moment he gets to the school grounds, he's mine and it will be positive for him. And that's where the difference is, really. So I would ask uh, young people to get in classrooms as soon as possible to take notes, to observe, to talk to teachers, and especially effective ones, and <clears throat> engage. See what you're seeing on the playground. What are you feeling in terms of culture and climate of, of that particular building? And here's the last one I'll leave you with. Would you want your child in that classroom for 184 days? And one of the things that concerns me so much about education, I'll switch doctors, I'll switch car dealers, I'll switch pharmacists, I'll, but I, in most cases, can't switch that teacher. Right. So um, that's what I would do. And again, even if you have an opportunity, like I said, to not only meet with students and teachers and administrators and, and so on, but meet with parents if you can. And you'll know real soon whether or not it's the profession for you. Yeah, Try to make a ramble, Kevin. No, not a problem at all. There's a whole lot of good tidbits in there, and and it's an experience. And you you don't know if you truly are meant to be in a classroom until you experience it. So I, I agree 100% with you that getting out there as soon as you can 
even if it's just to sit in the back of the room and watch somebody going. And I really love that idea that, that you brought up with the Lotus diagram. And I'm going to have to sit and think hard about that of you know what teachers meant a lot to me growing up, whether it was elementary or middle school or high school, what were those aspects and how can I be like those people? So thank you for doing that. <laughs> thank you for bringing that up. One last thing. I'm a very, very fortunate man at 78 years old, 56 years in education, healthy. I could go on and on and on. But every, and, and I've been blessed. I had before and after sports programs at all my elementary buildings. It's because I had an opportunity in college to coach Pop Warner football with or against Nick Saban's dad, not a name dropper. Had an opportunity to be a basketball coach, City League basketball. I mentioned that before. But then that carried to where I had an intramural sports program at school. And I'm sad to say that it was just boys, not girls, but that helped. But the point I'm making with all of that is it's just, it's so, so simple. One more time, if you are feeling what I hope everybody feels and believe me, a lot of teachers don't feel that on a daily basis. And I understand why. But if you have that feeling, that passion, kids know, and it makes all the difference in the world. But um, anytime you can visit, anytime you can observe, um, and I used to always ask my student teachers, take this lesson home. I don't want to, but videotape it. Take it home. And one more time, would you want your child in there for 184 days? So. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Um, on the flip side of that, what about those teachers that are finishing out their careers? They're getting ready to retirement. How, how do they keep themselves from having that uh, just hitting cruise control moment? Well, <laughs> um, I suppose that's human nature. But if I've been an effective teacher for 30, in other words, as I say to my students today, former students, when I run into them, I would love to have you again in fourth grade, fifth grade, whatever it might be. And I'm a better teacher today than I was back in 1964, 65. But I would say to them, simply, obviously, continue to do what you were doing if you felt. And self-evaluation is so critical. I mean, it really is. If you felt you were an effective teacher, please know. If you do a plus minus, Marzano's number one, similarities and differences, and look at the positives and also the negatives over, excuse me, over your career, you'll see that you made a difference, that you, that you made an impact. And so I would say to them, finish that year as, as strong as you started it, finish it like it was your first year. But then remember this, we need you. We still need you in this wonderful profession to come back and perhaps be a consultant, to volunteer. And I've seen it in every... The number of buildings that I serviced in the Cleveland area was unbelievable. The number of retired teachers that, that came back. So I would say complete that T-square, all of the positives for your career and the negatives. And when you look at those positives, continue to build on those. And perhaps, just perhaps, maybe you want to enter another profession. And I can guarantee you that if you do, you will be hired because you were an effective teacher. I had an opportunity at one time to work for Rydell, All-American Company, Rydell, uh, headgears. And I chose not to, but because I had the president, the president of the company's son in school, he knew what 
an effective teacher was, and he knew that I was effective and had that opportunity. It's not about me, but I'm simply saying to those people, number one, thank you. Number two, reflect and, and jot down things that you remember the most. You have stories. List those. We thank you for your service, and then you may want to think about coming back for one more year. So um, I simply would encourage them to continue to stay involved in the profession in some way if that's possible. Beautiful. And uh, there's always a need for substitute teachers. And if you're going back to the school that you're at, you don't want to go into a classroom where those you had those kids last year and you were just kind of going through the motions because that's going back to the relationship and the rapport that if they know they see you walk in as a substitute teacher are they gonna be excited or are they gonna be like oh okay <laughs> so d- finish exactly. on a high note right go out go out and do the big things <laughs> yep so oh man there's a lot we've gone over today is uh is there any upcoming conferences or events or anything that you'll be speaking at that the audience might be able to, to catch you at? You know, that's interesting because of COVID, everything has really, really changed. Uh, as I indicated, um, I've written one book and we're making some minor changes in that book. We literally took most teacher evaluations are based on the Madeline Hunter um, evaluation. And, and I not only took her, which the Ohio Department of Education used, but I took her evaluation at the end of my book and literally offered additional suggestions as far as me being out there this is interesting um and i appreciate this opportunity but going back to the relationships the respect and rapport i got a call yesterday uh actually two days ago from a principal i think i told you earlier on from um she was originally from michigan she was in cleveland is now in columbus and she wants my work but everything's going to be through zoom and it's completely different so we're kind of like going back and forth in terms of me becoming (laughs) better at using zoom, but she wants obviously a professional development training. She wants coaching. Uh, she, they saw some of my work and they want one-on-one small group, large group, et cetera. So that's one. And that'll be in, in the Columbus area. Um, I will have my second book out ASAP in terms of conferences. And that's another one. Talk about being blessed. Uh, I had the good fortune with the, uh, like I said, the Knowledge Works and Edwards Foundation, sponsored by Bill and Melinda Gates, to to attend so many conferences. We would have keynotes, and I'm talking Schmoker, I'm talking Elmore from Harvard, I'm talking uh, Daggett uh, leadership uh, conferences, et cetera, et cetera. But to to hear them and to to be part of their presentation. And then whether it was at Kalahari or Sawmill Creek or Columbus or wherever we were, Detroit, uh, Saginaw, then to be able to present after them or whatever on specific subjects, it's been a blessing, an unbelievable gift from above. And um, my situation would be completely different. Everybody's would if it weren't for COVID. I was in the middle of um, a contract with, I wasn't traveling as much. I did that for approximately 10, 11 years. Um, but I had some contracts with local districts, parochial and um, suburban and urban. And then obviously with COVID, that all came to a halt. But uh, I've been told that I can do book talks. And I had a number of those scheduled. Uh, Vanderbilt University, University of South Carolina. Uh, obviously, I think uh, Heidelberg and uh, Tiffin U. 
um, WVU, Fairmont State, but it all stopped with COVID. So um, I'm just hoping that everything goes through in terms of my becoming comfortable and being able to navigate with uh, <clears throat> Zoom and do presentations that way. And then once COVID is, and it will be, over and we're all safe and secure, um, even at 78, I want to continue to work if indeed I can support and help teachers, but ultimately reach children. So, um, and I can be reached. I mean, I have a number of people who still call me, hey, is there a chance you could send me that one document or that one before reading, or a couple before reading strategies? Or, you know, when we examined student work and uh, we went through the rigor elements framework, could I have the product list, the verb list, uh, uh, the higher order thinking question, anything that I can do to assist teachers and eventually ultimately help children, I will do that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, is there anything we missed and how can the audience get in touch with you? Um, lmumpo at gmail.com. Um, 440-320-6639. Um, I have obviously my book here at number many, many copies here, which I would be happy to mail out. Uh, but we just yesterday, I think Mary Jo sent in the revised, um, I had the teacher evaluation piece at the very end, but then I wanted to offer my own personal suggestions in each of those domains or domains. So, uh, we should have that probably within another week or two and then either through us or through Amazon, my book. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And one of these days, I am going to get Larry on Twitter for all of you, and then you guys are all going to fill him with questions and get him uh, even more busy than he already is. I love answering questions, and I'm not an expert. We know for a fact that, <clears throat> uh, you know, the novice can list, the expert can connect. Uh, I'm not an expert, but I've seen an awful lot in 56 years and I really do believe that there are some easy solutions to some of the problems that we have in education. And I'd love to discuss those with anyone at any time. And anything that I have ever created um, that would support anybody's work, I can make it available. Great. Appreciate this opportunity. I really do. Absolutely. And, and thanks for being on today. And audience, as always... Now it's your time to go out there and make it happen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Potion Podcast. This podcast was created using Anchor FM. Please subscribe and leave comments with your thoughts and ideas from the classroom. Until next time, get out there and make it happen.